tired. So tired. Overtired. You are listening to Overtired with Brett Sharpstra and me, Christina Warren. Hey, Brett, how are you? I'm good. I'm jealous. You're so much better at the intro than I am. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to lie about this. I had like a weird dream last night where we were recording the podcast. And when I woke up this morning, I like practiced. Like I was like, how do I want to do the intro? And so I, I practiced it in my head. So <laughs> I had a weird dream that uh, I'm forgetting the comedian's name now, but she she contacted me wanting to be on Systematic. And it was and I was like, but in my dream, I had canceled Systematic. So <laughs> I was preparing to like bring it back for one episode just to have her on. And she's uh, she's not a popular comedian. I can't remember her name now. Anyway, it was a weird, weird dream. We're, we have podcasting dreams because that's that's us just what now, we do. I guess. Yeah. 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 I have podcasting dreams. I had a really realistic one like two nights ago where I was flying and you would think for somebody who has flown as much as I do that I would have dreamed more about flights during the pandemic, but I haven't. And so this was the first like really realistic dream that I'd had about it. And my flight dreams are so boring because it was literally all about the logistics of making the flight, making the international connection, getting like the right, you know, getting boarded on time. Like it was, it was the most ridiculous sort of minutia of the stuff that happens when you travel a lot. And I woke up and I was just like, God damn it. I miss flying. I miss travel so much. <laughs> I miss like, and I mean, that's the stuff that honestly is the biggest pain in the ass, but it's also the thing. And this is the dirty secret that I've talked about on this show before, which is if you do it enough, there's like, there are like two tiers of airline passengers, which I didn't really realize until I started flying a lot. And once you do it enough, you get into like that secret hidden tier where suddenly customer service reps are nice to you and take care of things for you. And when things like missing your international connection happen, they just anticipate it and you don't have to be stuck in, in Amsterdam for a night. Like, yeah. Yeah. Must be nice. I've never been I, there. You, I mean, the, the, it, it is nice. I, I'm not going to pretend like it's not the disadvantage is that to get there, you do have to fly sure. like 150,000 miles a year. Yeah, and I, I don't. I, I, I'd rather not have it than fly that much. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, and, and that really is the trade-off. It's and, almost and the like thing, they give it to you because they feel bad for you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it, well, it, it's like two things. It's like they feel bad for you and you've spent enough money over a period of time. Sure that they like are like, okay, well, we can't piss this person well, off. And also they know you're going to be back. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. And and they know that you like have other airlines you can go to. Um, although I do anticipate this is weird tangent before we get into our health corner. Um, Qantas was like, it still is the leading airline out of Australia. It was their national airline. And then, you know, it was, you know, denationalized as most state run airlines have been, except for the Middle East. Um, but they did have very, very good competition from, um, Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia 
basically went bankrupt and is now just going to be a domestic carrier in Australia, which is sad for me because A, um, they were a Delta partner and B, I flew them four times, four times, five times, um, four times. And I loved Virgin Australia. I thought that they were the best. Uh, they were one of my favorites. And so my flight in February of, of technically this year was my last Virgin Australia flight. And so I do wonder from like a customer service standpoint, like at this point you have the the international carriers like American and, and Delta and United. And um, uh, I think Singapore, you know, does Australia service and whatnot. But like if you live in Australia, your big choice now is basically just Qantas. So I could see their customer service like plummeting just because they're like, yeah, the other people went out of business. So fuck you. We're, <laughs> what else are you going to do? Yeah. Anyway. I remember who my dream was about. Who was it about? Grace Helbig. Oh, I love her. I shouldn't have said she was a comedian. I just happened to know her. Uh, like I first found her because of At Midnight. Yeah. Where she yeah, was she, often hilarious. Well, she is. She's, I mean, she's a YouTube person and she's, she's a comedian, I would say. Yeah. I don't think okay. that's like, she's not a stand up, but like she's comedy. She's done some, uh, she's done a few movies, none of which were amazing, but Camp Dakota was pretty yep. good. That was the was YouTube movie um, that she also did with uh, Hannah Hart yeah. and uh, somebody else, Marnie. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I remember 30, this. 30? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember these because my friend Stephanie was the publicist on those movies. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love her. I couldn't name, like, one outstanding thing she's done. She's done a no, lot she's of just pretty great. good stuff. No, yeah. she's just really good. Um, okay, I'm going to check now because she might follow me on Twitter. Uh, uh, if she does, um, it, it that would be awesome because then I could like, not that she would respond to my DMs, but I could be like, hey, do you want to be on um, <laughs> uh, Systematic? Yes, because Hollywood celebs uh, have nothing to do but be on podcasts these days. She does not follow me on Twitter. Uh, uh. She might have at one point, but she does not. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, enough about that. Let's get to the health corner. Yeah. How are you doing? Um, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I won't dominate the health corner this week. I, I think I'm actually going to get my med refills on time despite, uh, like I called the office yesterday to request my refill, which I have to do like every month and no one answered and it said call back during business hours but it was very clearly during business hours and they answered the phone today long story short i think everything's going to be fine how are you well i'm i'm fine um i got some interesting news and when i say this uh okay the person I'm about to tell the story about, because I'm personally fine, will never, ever hear this podcast. Like in no uncertain terms, we'll never hear it. However, for our, you know, many, you know, millions of listeners out there, I implore you because what I'm sharing is not mine to share. I'm just gossiping. Do not mention this on social media to me. And I, the reason I say that is that even though the person that I'm about to talk about this with will never hear this episode, I don't want there to be like a mention in my Twitter feed <laughs> that could surface or an Instagram or something. 
they could then lead to this person listening because it would just create drama with an already dramatic hoe that I, I, I don't, it's just not worth it. So just don't mention this to me on it, social media. Mention it's it. cool. Like if there's one thing the internet's good at, it's keeping secrets. This will be fine. Completely. Well, completely. Uh, so, okay. I will say this cause I'm, I'm, I'm on the discord or I'm logged into the discord. I'm, I was, I was logged into the wrong account for a while. So I'm logged into the discord account. Talk to us about it and discord. That's fine. This person will never be in the discord. This person will never be on any discord, but just like, don't mention it on Twitter. Okay. So I found out last week. So last week uh, was my sister's birthday and I called her to wish her happy birthday. And I was like, Hey, happy birthday. And uh, before I called her, I was texting with her and she was like, my sister and I aren't very close. Uh, We don't talk that often. And she was like, I have some news. And I was like, okay. And, um, I, you know, she was taking a while and, and I was just kind of half joking, half serious. And I was like, are you pregnant? And then like, (laughs) she comes back with like a fucking sonogram photo. (laughs) And okay, here, here's the, here's the TLDR on this. My sister is 44. She's never been pregnant. She has endometriosis, which made us all basically think that she was, it would be extremely difficult for her to get pregnant naturally. Uh, she's not married, but she's been in a committed relationship ish. Um, uh, like they've, they've been like monogamous. It's just complicated or whatever <laughs> with the guy for a while. Uh, but, but she's not married. Uh, this was not planned. Um, she's always wanted to be a mom. So that's actually great. Like she was born to be a mother. Um, she hit 20 weeks yesterday as we're recording this. She didn't know until like three weeks ago. Wow. Now, I always thought that people who were like, you know, like they, I think TLC even has that show like accidentally right. pregnant or I didn't know I was pregnant. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how do you not know this? Kelly, of course, somehow managed to not know for like half her pregnancy. Well, I suppose if you were, if the cards were stacked against you ever getting pregnant, it wouldn't be the first when when things started changing with your body, you would start looking for alternative explanations, I assume. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, she told me kind of the story and I'm not going to get into all that stuff because that's more personal. Like, uh, I kind of understand. But then there were certain things that happened that I was like, why didn't you go to the doctor? And she like didn't really have an answer for that. And then finally, I think she did go to the doctor and she had some sort of test. And they called her They're like, um, so yeah, you're pregnant. And, uh, yeah. So that I'm, I'm still trying to process this because all of us were just kind of like, huh, didn't, didn't expect that on my 2020 bingo card, like (laughs) at all, uh, completely shocked and, and surprised. Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm happy for her obviously. And, and it's going to be, like I said, she was actually like born to like, she's always wanted to be a mother and like, she'll be a great mom and, and, uh, whatnot. It's just one of those, like, did not expect it. And in fact, uh, she, she told my parents Christmas Eve, she was worried about how they would react. And I was like, they're going to be super happy for you. And of course they were, but they were talking to a family friend and the family friend, they're like, we have some news. And the family friend's first reaction was Christina's pregnant. And my sister is like, (laughs) wrong sister. And I, and I wasn't there, but I obviously, cause you know, I I don't, uh, you know, wasn't able to travel. And and if, if I had, but I would have been like, Never happening. 
(laughs) Like, like that's, that's an absolute, like never happening thing. But the interesting thing was she was telling me about this and, and this is why this is uh, uh, notable for our show. And you're going to love this segue is that she had been given by like one of her neighbors just started like naturally giving her prenatal vitamins like in July or something. And she was taking them again, not anticipating or planning or thinking that she would ever, you know, be pregnant, but she's been taking like prenatal vitamins. So she was saying like, she is religious. So she of course sees this as a sign from God. I see it as just like, well, that was fortunate that you were taking, you know, a supplement, like since you weren't going to the doctor when stuff was weird. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were at least doing that. Yeah. Which, uh, uh, signs yeah. from God are weird that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally <laughs> weird. But, but I was going to say, you know, but, but it is good that she was taking vitamins. And speaking of that, uh, this episode is brought to you by Ritual. Perfect and if you're segue. right, is that not awesome? So, so if you're looking for a multivitamin that'll fill in all the gaps of your diet, Ritual is perfect. You can start the new year with the nutrition that you need. You know, so many vitamins companies, they start off with like all this great data and careful sourcing, but then they get bought out by their supply chain that gets polluted when they're like searching for the cheapest possible ingredients. Cause you know, got to make that paper. And, um, a ritual takes pride in carefully and transparently sourcing all of their ingredients. So you know exactly what you're getting and that everything is of the highest quality. Ritual multivitamins contain no sugars, synthetic filters, or artificial colorants, and all the nutrients come in bioavailable forms that your body can actually utilize. It's also vegan, non-GMO, gluten and allergen-free, and it provides nutrients that cover all the bases. Ritual is specifically developed to help support different life stages, including formulas for men, which you've taken, and um, uh, Brett women, which I've taken, teens, and prenatal vitamins, which perhaps I should send to Kelly. Uh, uh, Brett takes the men's formula, which has 10 nutrients and includes, you know, vitamin um, E and D, which are great for, you know, mental and physical health. Um, I have been taking the, the, um, woman formula, um, which is the first multivitamin I've taken in quite some time, but my mom is certainly really happy that I'm taking a multivitamin, even though I do not need a prenatal version. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, and, um, with their delayed release formula, what's great about it is that you can take it at any time of day, um, with or without food and you deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. And that is why ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So visit ritual.com slash overtired to start your ritual today. So I, that was really well done. I, uh, I, I sent you a script that I forgot I had written out very specifically for me and you on the fly first read modified it as necessary to fit you. That was, I'm really impressed. (laughs) Great ad read, Christina. I'm no Simone de Rochefort, but I will take the compliments. I will take the compliments. So did you hear about, um, Dan Patrick in Texas, you remember he offered like a million dollars for anyone who could find evidence of fraud in the election? Yes. So this guy found three three instances of voter fraud, all all perpetrated by Trump voters that ha- that have officially been charged. So these are like real instances right. of voter fraud 
And now he's demanding his $3 million. And it appears that Dan Patrick is not planning to pay up on this. Huh. I mean, I don't think that he should pay $3 million, But, I mean, if there are actual charges filed, it would be a goodwill gesture to give him like 30000 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that seems about right, given... Uh, the Trump administration's proclivity for not paying their bills. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel like that is funny. Like, I, I feel like anytime you have anything with like that much of a thing, you need like a super big asterisk. Um, although the thing is, those things aren't enforceable. Like like the promise, there's something with 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 law. I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but there's something with law where there's some sort of a stopple thing where it's like the promise of you know, um, payment is, is, is not substitution for an actual contract. Sure. So, you know, just being like, Oh, I'll give you this. If this happens, like it's not binding. Um, on that note, and I will actually pay this if this happens, but I'm very confident that I will not have to pay this. I'm also very confident that I will not get paid, but I've made a $500 bet with some rando on Twitter that Andrew Yang will drop out of the New York uh, city mayor election before the primary. I didn't know he was in the primary. Uh, well, he, he's filed paperwork to run for mayor of New York City, and motherfucker's going to lose. Like, come at me, Yang Gang. Oh, I pissed off so many people on Twitter this week. I pissed off the Reba McIntyre stands yesterday. Fuck off, don't care. And I pissed off the Andrew Yang people last week um, because... And I don't mind his policies. Like, I actually think a lot of what he says makes sense. I just know New York City politics... And this guy has no shot, A, of winning. Like, he's going to lose so hard. It's not even funny. And, and B, like, he will not make it to the primary is, is what I was willing to bet $500 on. Like, he will not make it to, the, to, to voting. And, and to that, I said, I was like, you have to actually, like, he has to be still in the race when they're, like, I had to be explicit with these people. Like, he has to be running and on the ballot, like, on election day. Like, he can't drop out after the debates. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's filed, um, the paperwork to run for, for mayor of New York city. Cause yeah. Okay. I'll admit, I like Yang. Um, I don't mind him. I'm I, not, I'm not opposed to him. He's just he, not going to win. When he came out with like, not just the UBI thing, he yeah. came out with like detailed policies across the board. He was yeah. like the first democratic candidate to really, uh, elucidate some tr like real policy choices. And I was, right. I was on board for a little while. Like I eventually saw, uh, I went like Bernie Warren split ticket kind of right. thing, but, uh, but I did like Yang and I wouldn't mind seeing Yang and some kind of appropriate cabinet position. I don't no, really I, see him as the mayor of New York though. Oh, hell no. Well, here, here's my issue with, with Yang. And it's my broader issue with politicians like this. He's never held public office before ever. Sure. Um, Yet his first thing was to run for president. Now, that's not unprecedented. Uh, people know, do that. Not. Well, here's the thing, though. He's not a billionaire and sure. he's not famous and he doesn't have like major massive successes to hold up, you know, in, in his background. Like he doesn't have name recognition. There's He's not a celebrity. Right. So I am always questionable of people who the very first time they ever want to approach political life. If they're, if you're really doing it because 
you want to better the country and and you have good policies is to go to the very top and be like, it's not enough for me to run for Congress. It's not enough for me to even run for city council. It's not enough for me to do anything. I'm running for president. And then you don't get, you, you don't win the presidency, obviously. And so that, but you presumably still have money in your pack. So you're like, okay, well, what else do I want to do? Well, I guess I'll run for the, you know, one of the most high profile, um, you know, like local positions in government, like, like local government positions that I could have, which would be being the mayor of New York city. Right. Like I would think that kind of your tier, like if you can't be president, um, being governor of California or being mayor of New York city is probably more high profile in most cases than being a Congress, um, you know, uh, a person or being a senator, being a, um, you know, a, a, um, a, a U.S. senator. Like, would you agree with that? I, yeah. See, the, the thing is, the mayoral position is one of the least powerful. Like, yeah. Mayors don't actually have a lot of say in things like they're no, you're right. holding in, the city councils and well, boards. We, which is why he's not going to win. Um, this is one of the many reasons he, he won't win in New York. But I will say New York is a little bit different in that it does have, you know, you know, more power over things and can actually change the the, the makeup of the city. That said, in terms of national politics, you've never had uh, a successful, like, at least to my knowledge, like you don't have successful, you know, New York City mayors who then go on to other things. Like, it's a pretty thankless job. Like you either wind up like a judge on the people's court or, um, Rudy Giuliani, um, or you're like a footnote in history, right? Like, uh, like, you know, with the exception of like LaGuardia, like there are very, very few New York city mayors that have not either just like drifted into obscurity. Um, unless they, unless it's like an Ed Koch or a Rudy Giuliani thing. And, and the one exception I would say to that would be Bloomberg who, I actually think he was a pretty decent mayor. Um, uh, I don't, I didn't agree with a lot of his policies, but you know, honestly, he, he was a lot better than de Blasio. And I, I will, I will like continue to say that I've said that for years, but Mike Bloomberg was a different case, like actual, actual billionaire, like legitimate billionaire and legitimate someone who's like run a major corporation. And he left office and then went back to running this company. Like, I think that Bloomberg, unfortunately tainted a lot of his legacy by being dumb enough to like run for the presidency, you know, like, sure. it, it, which, which to me was, just, it's a similar thing to what Andrew Yang is doing. It's one of those things like, like you burn your goodwill by like having to just go for that extra thing that you don't need. It's like, except that you made it a lot further in the presidential, um, you know, uh, primary than you ever had but any I right feel to like making it further burn more goodwill. Uh, like, I feel like Yang dropped out at the right time. Yeah, uh, I agree. He, he so, made his statement, he made his mark, and then he he left so that well, like, actual viable candidates could could win. Well, well let's be clear, uh, Brett. He didn't choose to leave. He had to leave. He didn't get enough votes. Sure, sure. So he was no longer allowed to run. Um, I don't think that he would have voluntarily dropped I, out. I do. I, I Well, the reason I say I, I don't think he would is because the idiot is, is filing paperwork to run for mayor of New okay, York city. That's fair. Okay. So like clearly, <laughs> and this is, this is the whole thing I'm getting into with his, with his supporters who are deranged. Like they're genuinely deranged is that they're like talking about all these reasons why he's so great. And first of all, like none of them live in New York, like maybe like a handful do. So I'm like, first of all, shut up. 
you have no idea even how New York City politics works. And I don't live in New York either anymore, so I can't, you know, vote or not vote. But I do know how New York um, uh, City elections work. And uh, my my former neighbor was actually, she is still is, she's like the one de Blasio loyalist left, which Emma, the life choices you've made uh, are, wow. But she was like, started out as like one of his campaign staffers and is now like his chief of staff. Um, and, and she lived, um, underneath me for seven years. Um, and, um, we used to have spirited, but polite, like political debates at at times. Um, nice girl. Um, so I know a little bit more about like how, like the New York city city council works than the average person. I'm not like an expert on it, but I certainly know how, how it works more than like the average Yang fan. And it's like, this is not a winnable position for him. This is one of the, this is one of those things where having a national, like, like fame, like being known nationally works against you. Yeah. Like that, that's not going to be something that first of all, the turnout in New York city elections, like for, for uh, mayor is like insanely low. It's like 15% or something. And so the people who are actually going to show up are people who care um, and, and, and whatnot. And, and it's so political, like the New York city council is so political and so mired in that stuff. Like, a, why would you want to be involved in that anyway? And B it's like having the name recognition will help you in the polls that they do of people who more than likely aren't going to vote anyway, that they do like early on. They're like, cause even right now people are like, Oh, Yang is leading, you know, the polls. And I'm like, yeah, he's the one name that people recognize. So he's going to, he's going to lead. Anthony Weiner was leading in 2013, Anthony Weiner. Um, uh, people thought, you know, had, had a real shot in 2013, uh, before his, you know, second, um, uh, his sex Wiener scandal. Broke. Yes. His, well, his second one, because, you know, the first one is what got him kicked out. It was what made him resign from Congress. And the second one is he didn't drop out of the mayor's race, but but ruined his chances. And then the third one is what led him uh, or maybe that was by that time, the fourth or fifth one is the one that made him go to go to jail. Um, but, you know, the reason that he was leading the polls has nothing to do with the fact that even if that hadn't happened, Anthony Weiner wasn't going to win the mayoral election. What happened, though, is that it's like he's the name that people recognize, like people didn't know the name Christine Quinn or, um, you know, Bill de Blasio, like they knew the name Anthony Weiner. So Andrew Yang might be leading these polls, but A, he's never, he's not winning like mayoral election. I would bet money on that, but no one, even the Yang gang notably will not bet $500 that he won't win the mayoral election. So I bet I was like, he's not going to make it to the primary. And I just don't believe he will. Cause I think that, um, it's expensive like that's an expensive campaign and I just don't see, I, like, I think his pack or whatever is just going to run out of money, assuming he does even go for it. But well, I anyway, hope you win. I mean, I, mean, I don't care. <laughs> like, I like, it, it, like whatever it, like all I was going to say is like, and I, I, here's the thing. I don't hate his policies at all. I, again, like you, I wouldn't mind him to be in a cabinet position. I just am a little bit annoyed that like, you, you didn't have, you couldn't win the biggest prize. So now you're going to go for one of the other highest profile things. Like if you actually wanted to enact change, I don't know, dude, maybe you run for Congress. Yeah, I don't know. No, that makes sense. Like that, that, that's my whole thing. Like if, if this wasn't just about your ego, like maybe you run for Congress, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. Politics. That was the politics section of our show. That was the politics uh, section of our thing. Um, all right. So I see you have discovery. I, uh, I, 
Discover. Yeah. Let's talk discovery for one second. Yes, please. It. I've been watching the latest season, but I'm not uh, like, I'm, I'm not far through it. I'm about halfway, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it took a turn where suddenly we're on this remote planet and there's a middle-aged man from, it's the guy from one of those law and order shows or CSI or something. And, and he's next to a door in the middle of nowhere, ushering the uh, Philippa from the mirror universe through back to the mirror. It got so trippy that I feel like it took a turn. I was in, I was in on discovery despite the naysayers. I was really enjoying it, but now I'm worried to continue I've never been a fan of like mirror universe episodes dating all the way back to like the original series, (laughs) Spock with a goatee, like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, and, yeah, I love, I I love evil Spock. Yes. (laughs) Like the, the, the plots have always been, they're dangerous plots. Like anytime you're dealing with multiple dimensions and, and multiple universes, and then they're mixing in time travel with the whole thing now. And it, (sighs) It got too weird. It got too David Lynch for me. I'm worried. Okay. So I have, I, I watched like the first season, but I haven't seen the other stuff. Um, I will have to watch, I, I will, I will like believe you, but I'll have to watch this, um, which will make my friend Catherine very, very happy because she is um, both a huge fan of Star Trek in general and had a very hilarious uh like adversarial relationship with the um pu- with the publicists for and and with CBS for uh, around Star Trek Discovery which was like quite hilarious because as the show was coming together we all had a lot of questions and we were all like all right the showrunner situation keeps changing there's a lot of weird stuff happening with the scripts this whole thing looks like it's going to be a disaster we're reporting on this can we reach out and the the publicist would be like passive aggressive but also directly aggressive and some of her emails her name was Kristen and it was just one of those things where uh, Catherine um, works at the EFF now but worked at uh, uh, io9 when she was doing this and so it was one of those things where they couldn't just ignore io9 because it's one of the bigger genre websites sure. out there uh, but yet clearly like did not want to uh, fuck with Catherine although she did have a really good um, interview with uh, Anthony Rapp um, and some of the other people on it. Um, but she's a huge Star Trek fan and she's been watching all of this. So um, I'll, I'll defer to you and her about where it's going. But that is always like, uh, that's always my fear with some of the with some of the shows, like sci-fi in general. Um, and I like sci-fi, but that's one of those things where it can, especially I think Star Trek, it can veer into that. Um, you, you call it Lynchian, although I enjoy David Lynch stuff, but it can go into that kind of like mirror universe thing and get like weird, yeah. like way too easily. And I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like if your conceit from the beginning is that it's weird, like Westworld was, you know, in his yeah. first season, then I think it works. I think that if you start out where you're trying to be more grounded in reality and logic, and then yeah. you shift, uh-huh. then it's like, no. It's like we're willing to suspend belief and be like, yeah, you're you're, you know, uh, thousands of years, you're, you know, thousand years in the future and you're on, you know, um, a, a, you know, like a spaceship. But we're not willing to extend this other belief like you go too far, like you you cross over that line. Right. There, yeah. We, we've hit the limits of our 
because I, I, we this season they already traveled 900 years into the future and now we're <sighs> mirror universing um we'll see the next episode will be a determining one for me like they left it as a cliffhanger so maybe they bring it around and this all makes sense in the grand scheme of the plot and and i find it totally forgivable we'll see there's a good chance i i'll still be on board but i i'm suddenly hesitant speaking of star trek though here's a story for you uh scotty you remember scotty james duhan of course yes um his dying wish one of his dying wishes was to have his ashes taken to space um and he wanted to have them aboard the international space station and uh that was not cool with nasa um <laughs> you know contamination whatnot but uh he got well his family got uh this guy the game developer richard garriott uh to take his ashes and Garriott had paid $30 million as one of like the space tourists to go to the International Space Station as like a private citizen. Right. What he did, and this is kind of brilliant, while I'm not like, I, I, I'm not asking anyone to screw with NASA or the ISS, like big fan, but he laminated the ashes into photos of Scotty that he then <sighs> smuggled up to the space station and gave let one of them go into space, disintegrated into the atmosphere, or whatever. Uh, one of them he gave to, I think, to another astronaut, and one of them he hid under the floorboards of the International Space Station. Oh my God! That it's kind of beautiful. It's kind of it, that this was like um, eight years ago he did this, so he's finally awesome. talking about it now. Yeah, it was 2008 when he so it was 12 uh, years ago. Yeah, when he paid to uh to fly there. But yeah, he tried his first attempt, he tried to go up uh in SpaceX Falcon 1 rocket. Mm -hmm. Uh but that one failed to reach orbit. Apparently this guy made a lot of money cuz he's just... Yeah, clearly if he's been able to pay all this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like like cuz I remember yeah, because $30 million, I mean, although that is a lot even by those standards, I think usually it's like three, but... Right. Yeah, I don't understand why it would cost $30 million. Maybe that was just because it was all the way to the ISS and NASA was making yeah. accommodations. Yeah, that actually, that probably makes sense because I think usually I think it might be just like, if yeah, to go all the way to the ISS because that's pretty rare. Usually you have people who will go into orbit um, but won't go all the way to, to that because like... And maybe it is 30. Maybe, maybe they just try to raise like the smaller amounts. Cause I know that like, um, uh, Mark Shuttleworth, like the, the guy, uh, the, the canonical guy who created like Umbutsu, yeah. I think like he, you know, cause he made a, a shitload of money in, in the dot bomb thing. And I think that he like paid to go into space. Um, but he didn't get all the way, he didn't go all the way to the space station and, and he spent his $30 million on trying to make Linux on the desktop a thing, which was actually, I think a bigger waste of money, but on bump. Um, I, I just can't not troll the Linux on the desktop people. Uh, and then I remember the most famous one I remember is Lance Bass of InSync uh -huh. wanted to go into space. And he like went through some of the training and all this stuff and they were going to make like a reality show and all this stuff. This was like in the early 2000s. And then they, they couldn't get all the money together. Like it was one of those things where they basically sold the pitch for the show and made the announcements and he started doing it. And then when it came time to actually pay 
you know, the money and whatnot, they couldn't find the, 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 the um, you know, funders, they couldn't find uh, the investors to actually do it. Cause I think people realize they're like, yeah, no one's going to watch this TV show, which no one would have, right? Like sure. who cares? Um, but I think in most of those cases, it's like, it's, so yeah, that, that must be what it is. It's like $3 million to go into space, but it would probably be 30 million to go to the space station, which well, shit. When, when we're rich, I, I propose, um, a episode of overtired uh-huh. from the space station. Oh, I agree. I agree. There'd be so much stuff that I would do. Like if I just had that much money, like. Um, although, I mean, again, like, I think you have to go through the training like, you have to, like, it's not like one of those things where you just pay, like, I think they have to like give you like a physical test and, and, you know, you have to go through all that other stuff. And, um, it's like not a small thing. So I have to say, I, I, I love, if this is true, I love that, I, like you, not in any way advocating trolling, um, or pranking like, you know, NASA or, or the ISS. However, this is pretty epic like to bring Scotty's ashes up to the, the space station. Like what makes me sad though, is that this isn't the sort of thing like that, like that he had to go through all this effort because you would think that this would be the sort of thing that NASA would like openly embrace. You would think, but also you're setting a precedent and pretty soon I agree. you're just a crematorium. No, I agree 100%. And I, I'm in no, and I'm sure that that's why like they didn't do it. I just feel like this would be one of those things where if he got there, you know what I mean? It'd be one of those things to be like, they could make a one-time thing for Scotty, right? Sure. Like, but then you have to make one for Chekhov and who wants to do that? Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like you make it very clear where you're like, this is only for <laughs> Scotty. And if, you know, Limmer, if, if Leonard Nimoy's family has some of his ashes that they would like, you know what I mean? Like sure, that would be the sure. thing. Like, 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 you know, you don't have to exactly, uh, 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 check off. No one wants, although now I'm thinking about check off from the movies, Anton Yelkin. And that, now I'm really sad. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, do you know what happened to him? No. He was really great, like fantastic young actor. And he died in like the most horrible, like freak accident, like his car, like, like the parking brake or something wasn't on and he got pinned between like his car and the garage. Wow. And like basically self-impaled was terrible. That, that is terrible. Yeah. And he was a really, really, really good actor. All right. Um, we'll let his ashes onto the ISS. I mean, I don't think his need to be there cause he was just check off in like the movie, but like, you know, he, he was, but he, no, anyway, but yeah. Well, um, I mean, are you going to deny Patrick Stewart? Well, I no, like, I mean, we're going to cross pretty much the entire Star Trek universe could be like lionized in this way. Okay. Well, so, so, okay. So, all right, but hear me out. I'd actually be okay with that. So, but you do it this way where you have them embedded, like in the plaque. So you have one plaque <laughs> that has, you know, in the resin, like around the photographs of the cast. And then that's what you have. Like all of like the whole cast gets like mixed in to like one epoxy for the plaque. Yeah. 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 Still plaques take up space and like, well, that's why you, that's why you have like one. And, and again, like you have to like limit it. You're like, okay. Like, um, like Scotty, uh, Patrick Stewart, um, 
Shatner, sorry, he has to be there. Yeah, no, um, that's fair. You know, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And um, uh, Gene Roddenberry, and that's it. Wait, wait, Yuhuru, what was her name? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yuhuru should be there too. So, okay, so um, Scotty, uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, William Shatner, Gene Roddenberry, Yuhuru. So that's five. Okay, well, all right, all right, I'll agree to that. That's this. it. Okay, okay, all right, it, it, and and then and then and then it's cut off, and 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 the thing is, and and this is the good news. It's like if you want to have the next generation, like another like group of, of five, then we need another international space station. Then we need to have like another thing. Then like that's what Elon Musk can do with whatever his SpaceX shit is, right? Like he can just have he can just build another space station, and that can house you know like other people from like pop culture. Um, speaking of Star Trek, I, I, this is going to be a really smooth segue into something we didn't talk about talking about. Okay. Um, so I, I have been listening to pretty much exclusively black female authors on audible for the last like six months. Awesome. And then, uh, ready player two came out mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, I enjoyed ready player one. I'll, I'll jump on and. So it's read by Will Wheaton mm-hmm. and it is like the whitest story and like it, it, everything about it. And, and then you tie in like the ultimate white guy nerd as, as the voice. And it is such a jarring transition from like black female. And I've been reading sci-fi. Like it wasn't like a complete genre jump, but like from black female sci-fi to Ready Player Two, read by Will Wheaton, that was a- abrupt and jarring. That said, I am enjoying it. Yeah, I haven't um, read it yet. Uh, I um, or, or listened to it yet, but I have a bunch of Audible credits, so um, I'll keep that in mind. But that is actually, I like that you're doing that, though. That you're like listening to Black female authors. Um, I remember you telling me that because you've been you've been like reading a lot of um, that. But uh, do you find has that been the case where they're where they're getting obviously, well not obviously, but usually how readers work for audiobooks is that they have women read women's yes. um, work. Yes. Um, do, but do, can you tell if they're black female um, yes, readers? Because that's awesome. Most of them are read by Nigerian women. With Interesting. Strong Nigerian accents, and it is uh, like once you get used to the accent, it adds this whole because they they roll random r's like it's in english like they'll say the same word they'll say heart and then they'll say heart and it it, like just that double tap on the r and it adds this richness to english that english speakers will never achieve no i love that i love that no and you're right um because i i work with um with the Nigerian and I love his accent and I have, but I, ha- I have to admit, I haven't listened to um, many things being read by, by Nigerian, let alone Nigerian women. Um, that's pretty awesome. Um, this is a, another, like I, I've given this service so many shout outs. They're not a sponsor. I wish they would be, maybe we should reach out to them about that, but autumn, a U D M.com. Uh, one of the things I really like about autumn in addition to just like the general quality of the journalism that they read and whatnot. And and for people who aren't familiar, it's basically 
audible, but for long form magazine articles uh, or, or things from newspapers or from websites that might have them. So it's all high quality stuff. And the New York Times actually bought them um, earlier this year, but they, you know, they do stuff from the Atlantic and the New Yorker and, and Wired and Manny Fair and ProPublica and stuff like that. One of the things I really appreciate about Autumn is that unlike Audible, you do very frequently hear women reading work written by men. Nice. Which is is rare. Um, it's also usually a lot of the same readers as read for Audible. But yeah, uh, also a uh, shout out, uh, uh, plug for them. The New Yorker this week um, like dedicated their whole issue basically to um, like the you know, basically the, the pandemic and, um, the cover story on autumn, they actually read it. It's three and a half hours. Wow. Red. Wow. Yeah. The plague year, the plague year. Um, and so, so it's, you know, it, it's this probably 30,000 word, uh, story, uh, at least, um, maybe 50,000 words. I'm not sure, but it's three and a half hours read, which is pretty incredible. I'm only like halfway through it. Um, do you, we've, we've probably talked about this before and I don't remember, do you read anything at all or do you only listen? Uh, I, it's been a while, but I do enjoy reading, even reading on paper. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read on paper in a long time. Um, I think the last thing I read on paper was, uh, uh the book about Rebecca Harkness who Taylor Swift wrote the song about that I was able to get the book <laughs> used. Well, dude, I was smart to be able to get the book used. Like now, like the prices are going for like hundreds of dollars online. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I got it for like nine bucks, um, because I was early on, on, on the interwebs. I was like, Oh, there's a book about this. Cool. Buying it. And then it, it, you know, a million people wrote blog posts about who the song was about because woman's life was cray. Uh, but that was probably the last physical book I've read. I only read things that they're out of print. I only read a physical paper, like genuinely, like, uh, otherwise like it's, it's all been e-ink or, sure. uh, you know, other stuff, but yeah. Um, but I'm always curious about that cause I like to listen, but my problem is, and I don't know if you have a similar problem. I can read so much faster yes. than I can than read I can faster and I stay awake longer if I'm reading. Uh, yeah it takes me forever to listen to a book because I'll set the sleep timer for 15 minutes. I'll fall asleep after eight and then have to rewind yep. the next day. And then day. you have to rewind and find like where you were when you fell asleep. Mm. Yeah. I have that thing too. Yeah. For me though, I think the bigger thing is, especially since I usually read like four or five things at once is that when I'm listening, I can usually listen to a couple things at once, like maybe two, but I can read like four things at once and it's, it's obviously I, I can, I can read probably, I don't know, three times as fast as, as I can listen, I would guess. I don't know. I will. I'll throw a random plug in here. I, the last time I listened to two books at once, I was finishing up. Um, what was I listening to? It was book three, no book two. Oh, children of virtue and vengeance, which uh, I didn't realize it was going to be a trilogy and the third book hasn't been written yet. So it ends with a cliffhanger. <laughs> and, um, I'm, I'm frustrated now. And, uh, but at the same time I grabbed, uh, um, the graveyard book, uh, because that is the book by Neil Gaiman that we named our kitten after. And I figured I needed to 
refresh on that. And um, yeah, totally. It's a full cast read with uh, Gaiman and like a full like mixed cast, and it was spectacular. It's a short, it's a short listen, and it's such a good story. Okay, I'll 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 put that on my list um, for people who uh, are less um, into and, and I enjoy sci-fi, but not the same way you do. Um, but speaking of cast reads, maybe remember one of the better things I listened to this year, and this is a good segue for us to talk about our top top Mac apps. See see how I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one of the better things I listened to this year was an Audible um, uh, uh, original um, reading of um, uh, Tony Kushner's um, 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 Angels in America, the play, mm. and but it was read by the Revival Broadway cast. Nice. So, uh, right. A, great play. B, um, great thing to listen to. C, if you have HBO, um, the 2003 miniseries that um, uh, Mike Nichols did remains, in my mind, one of the best like adaptations period and it's stunning so anyway nice. that's that's my plug for that uh, but how does, how does that go into top apps because i was talking about one of the best things i listened to this year oh <laughs> that's pretty much what we always do what are the best things we're watching what are the best things we're listening to what are the best things happening in the world we're all about the best this show we should are. just be called best of the best that's probably already a podcast it's probably already a podcast. Uh, although it does make you think that maybe we should have like a micro website where we list some of this stuff. Well, like on systematic, I do this thing called top three picks. And at the end of every episode, I have my, it's been years since you've been on, you should come on. I know Uh, I need to come on. But, uh, but the, the guest just brings like their three favorite things from any genre of any kind. Uh, some people bring like their favorite emotion. Like it gets weird sometimes, but, um, but I've always like I used to keep a, a page on my site that was just a collection of years worth of top three picks. And I kind of let it go. But I have been thinking that that would at least at least a section of the systematic site, if not its own site, because it is such an eclectic bunch of uh, things that make people happy. No, I love that. And I always like like looking at those things as a reader and as a listener. Another thing to add to the list. Um, okay, so let's talk about your top um, apps of 2020. Let's talk about our top apps because I want to hear what your favorite things are too. But we have we have 10 minutes left. So, yep. so let's each pick one or two of our absolute favorite apps for the year, which is always weird because it's the end of the year and you're only going to remember what's top of mind. Exactly. Like what I do is I load up um, who to spot. And mm-hmm. I create a query that that shows me every application I've launched and sorts it by number of launches. Of course you have. <laughs> so, so then I can see, like, what did I actually use the most? And the problem that I run into is a lot of my favorite apps are menu bar apps and they don't uh, they don't get right. launched as much uh, or as often because they're just always running. So I kind of have to manually compensate for that. But uh but this list that that you're probably looking at right now, I sure uh, am. Uh, it is based on like top number of launches for the year, with a few that I snuck in there just because they're really good apps. Yeah, and I'm looking at this list, and it's interesting because I I have some similar things uh, with mine. Um, see, uh, Fantastical, the new fan, it, did the new Fantastical come out this year? Yes. Okay, love it. 
um, obviously, um, audio hijack, um, uh, bartender, better touch tool, default folder X, one of my favorite apps, period. Um, trying to look at other ones that are big ones for me, loop back, um, and sound source, both of them text expander always. Have you used text sniper? I have not. It's available on setup. It's this, it, it's, you take a screenshot and it OCRs it instantly. <gasps> and like, I found it because I was trying to copy text out of Apple news, which you can't yes. do on the Mac, no. which drives me nuts. It's and terrible. Text sniper. I can just select the text I want to copy and instantly in my clipboard have the actual text. Nice. Oh, also, okay. This is pretty great. I didn't realize this dash is now on setup. Yes. Which is awesome. Cause I haven't paid for it. Oh, wait. Um, did I, is it though? Did I screw that up? No, I just found this out because I opened up, I opened up setup. Oh, okay. Cause I did, I, I checked that box on the list, but then it, that must be recent. Yeah. Like it literally just is in the, in the recently added thing. All right. I'm, I'm creating a quick list. So I can link these ones that we're specifically talking about. Because I literally opened up setup to install this app, Tech Sniper, and I saw Dash. I was like, oh shit. I've I because I because it's one of those things like I've thought about paying for. And I actually, you know what it was? I paid for the old version and I refused to pay for the upgrade. That's uh -huh. what it was. Well, <laughs> I, I don't I've paid use for it every that version. Well, I pay for everything too, usually. This is was my thing. It's not that I refuse to pay, it's just I was like going through my thing. I was like, I don't know if I use this enough right now to mm. like need to pay like whatever the full price of the upgrade was, um, which is fine. Um, like, and, and I in no way am begrudging, you know, like the developer, like making their money like at all. Uh, but it is also one of those things where I was just like, eh, I don't okay. know how often I'm, I'm obviously using this. So I've been putting it off. It wasn't even one of those things. Refuse is the wrong way of saying it. it sure, refuse sure. is wrong. Um, it's just more like putting it off and now I don't have to put it off. I can just get it with setup, which is better on a lot of levels because when I do use it, you know, he'll get paid. Yes. So, so uh, which for is, anyone yeah. who doesn't know what this is, dash is a, a pop-up collection of doc sets for yep. just about every programming language, every API, uh, and you can build your own like cheat sheets and everything for it. Yep. And it gives you this instant search and you can jump between like languages by using uh, type like on mine, it's set up. So I can type RB colon and it brings up like Ruby 1.9 and 2.0 doc sets. And mm -hmm. I can search through. I have one that searches through all all versions of the Mac SDK. And yep. like it is constantly it is it's my reference anytime I'm working. I even have like a cheat sheet for regular expressions that pops up. It's, it's a fantastic app for anyone who codes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and so, um, yeah, and that's now on setup, which awesome. They should sponsor us. Um, <laughs> I would totally do a this week on setup segment of the show. Um, you would yeah, think I so, could arrange that given I, know. I have like an app on setup and I've known the president for years. Yes. Let me, let me look into that because it would make perfect sense. It would actually, I, this just occurred to me and this isn't even me like trying, you know, whether we keep it, you're probably not going to edit this out, but, uh, this isn't even me like being like, let's get Christina and Brett paid. Like, but genuinely this would be a natural segment of the show. But also um, let's get do. Christina and Brett paid. 
Well, yes, for sure. I'm just saying like, that's not even the primary motivation in this case. I'm like, this would be actually a really good synergy. Uh, cause not in, in, in all cases, that's not the case. Uh, so yeah. Um, so dash is there. I'm trying to think what other apps I have. So I like your list for me. Visual studio code is always probably one of my top used apps. Um, I do, even though I don't think it's perfect and, you know, um, it, it's not like one of my like most used apps at all of the year. I do want to give, uh, Nova, uh, from, from panic a shout out just because as you know, because you're, you know, working on, uh, an editor as well, building the text editor is really fucking hard Yeah, and taking on something that is not just as ubiquitous, but frankly, as good as visual studio code is also difficult. So, um, props to them on that. I'm trying to kind of look through what other apps I've used a lot. Um, I don't know if this is one, I don't know. This is another set app one, but I like it a lot because I was having to deal with this recently. Uh, tables plus, have you used that? The SQLite editor? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I like that a lot because I used to use uh, SQL, um, which is still good, but hasn't really been updated in a long time. And Tables Plus is as a more modern interface and is just a really good way of being able to edit like MySQL or SQLite or Postgres databases. Nice. So, yes. Um, mildly related, uh, Table Flip is this app that it wasn't updated this year. Uh, I don't know if it's been updated much since it was released, but um, uh, Christian Tietz made it and he was one of the original NV. Uh, notational velocity hackers and um it lets you uh edit markdown tables as in like a spreadsheet form. yes yeah i use that yes i love that and you hit yes. save and it updates your markdown file and but it gives you like you can tab through and enter and move columns and everything and it's super cool yes yeah i like that app a lot um i've used that before um i'm trying to think which other ones i'm trying to think like big ones that have been updated um Forklift Didn't is it? really good. Which one? Forklift. Forklift is manager. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Forklift a lot. Uh, that's always a great app. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, it was just I was just talking about it literally like two seconds ago. So people who are listening will have heard what I said, and I've literally forgotten about it. Um, was it before Tables Plus? No, it was after I literally like said it out loud and then I forgot about it. I was like, I didn't know if it had been updated this year or not. And now I've lost it. Uh, but, um, well, yeah. Uh, oh, net newswire. No, no, there we go. Net newswire. Did net oh. newswire. Was that this year? I think that was, I, I, yeah, it was. Yeah. Brent Simmons said a whole thing on that. Yep. And I really like that that the, the rebirth of that is open source now and it's free and um, it's on GitHub and it's it's both I, I, iOS and Mac, which I really appreciate. And so, yeah, a big fan of Net Newswire. Do I, do I need to like I've been using Reader for long enough that I just haven't haven't uh, switched my my RSS readers at all. Is is it worth uh, checking out? Um, I mean, I would check it out. For me, the interesting thing, I think the reason I used to over Reader is that Reader, at least when the betas of NetNewsWire started, hadn't been updated in a really long time. Mm. 
And it was one of those things I didn't know if Reader was going to have a future. So I was like, I'll, I'll check this out. Since then, Reader has been updated. Yeah. So I use Feedbin as my service. Um, it's free. It's open source. I do appreciate that. Uh, I think that Reader probably has a slightly, like, maybe better design. But NetNewsWire is still really good. I will say that on iOS, if it's one of those things where you don't know if you use RSS enough to spend five dollars sure. on an RSS reader, I would definitely get NetNewsWire. And then if you find yourself doing it, maybe venture into the Reader Waters because Reader just recently updated, and I like that a lot. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think like if you're happy with your you know RSS reader, like do you need to to switch? No, but it's it's a nice option out there for people. So Reader added this thing called Atomic Reading Mode. Where, and I don't know exactly how it works, but it like bolds certain like kind of almost random letters in the sentence. Obviously, there's some pattern to it, but it's supposed to make it like super scannable. Kind of the way that using um, uh, open dyslexic font makes things more scannable, oh, even if cool. you're not dyslexic. This is supposed to make it easier to like quickly scan and recognize words without having to like you know, say the words in your head. So speed reading, basically. Um, it works, I think. I think I read faster with it on. Kind of want to, I want to figure out how to, how to use it in other places to see if it carries over. But yeah, yeah. Carabiner elements broke for me. Oh no. And that's like a huge part of your workflow, right? Huge, huge. Like I've had to start reassigning my hotkeys to harder to hit combinations because my hyper key doesn't work anymore. <sighs> and it was, it just broke. Like they had updated it for big Sur, and they had come up with a whole new like method of handling the kernel extensions that would be more future proof for Apple. And then the very latest beta point release of big Sur broke it. And it's a, uh, according to the forums, it is an Apple issue, and we're all filing radars for whatever good it's going to do. What have they still called radars when you use Feedback Reporter? I, I mean, I still call them that, but I believe that they've now. just called feedback. Yeah, I believe that radar has been deprecated. Yeah, we're all we're all filing our our feedback and and sharing uh, ticket numbers and trying to get this changed. But for the current beta users, uh, Carabiner is broken. So. I'm going to make a suggestion here and maybe this isn't tenable for you, but I still think you should take me up on this. I think that you should no longer use the beta versions of Big Sur. <laughs> well, yeah. So I like the only reason I'm running Big Sur at all is right, to it's test for apps. Mark, right. And, and NB Ultra. And I feel like I need to be on the cutting edge in order to stay ahead of the ball. I mean, but do you like, that's a fair question. I mean, honestly, do you, because to me, I feel like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like you could have, um, another partition if you really needed to test something before release, if you needed to know, but I also, I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like I really like I have a DTK mini here 
that has Big That's Sur, what, and I should just be testing on that. I was going to say, couldn't you just make that your testing machine? Because I to really me, because I, I just feel like have you ever for tried your day to day back an OS though? Yeah, I have, and it's a pain in the ass. So, so what what I usually do is I wait for the next point release. I unenroll from the the beta program, and then at the next point release thing, that's when, you know, like I upgrade like to that. So yeah. you have to be like in this, this period of time. It, yeah, it's a pain, but like, I don't know for me, if it were me, I would use my DTK for the testing and I would use my Mac to actually get shit done because I, this just feels like, like this one issue, for instance, is fucking up your whole workflow yeah. And they filed feedback and they're going to get it fixed. But I mean, this is me feeling so old now because I've always been somebody who's like, oh, just use the latest stuff. And now I'm like, damn it, I need it to be stable. And like, I hate that. But also life is too short <laughs> Yeah, <for laughs> to be sure. dealing with a trillion, a two trillion dollar companies like <laughs> problems. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. All right, fine. I'll get off okay. the beta. Um, the, the last topic I want to hit because it's uh it's very time sensitive yes is the death of flash and, yes uh it happens in by the time this is published I think it'll will be two days from official end of life for Adobe flash formerly wow. macromedia flash mm -hmm. and it is time like we can all agree yep. flash flash has been dead for some time and nobody should be using it anymore but I do want to say there's a great article by Mike Davidson that I'll link in the show notes, but there was a point in the web where like good layout and rich interactive mm -hmm. design wasn't possible. And then flash came along yep. and suddenly you had this performant, uh, like self-enclosed way to use any font you needed to do all kinds of mm -hmm. cool layout, have all kinds of interaction and animation. And it just was like, it, it was the it, best. It was a very cool time in web design. Agreed. Agreed. It wasn't, um, it wasn't standards friendly. No, but it was creatively probably apex, right? Yeah. I'm looking at this article. Um, that Mike wrote, um, I'll, I'll read it more in depth, but I agree with you. And I, I think what's actually kind of sad to me about the death of flash and I'm with you, like it is more than time. It has been past time. It has been a security nightmare for years. And, and I think that all of us can agree that Adobe was never a good steward of flash ever. Right. Like they bought macromedia and they were a good steward of some of the stuff, but, but flash was not one of them. They never really put in the investment to it. They, they didn't take mobile seriously at all. Uh, when Flash basically essentially moved to, to being video, they really ignored the fact that it, you know, it was just kind of a container, you know, and and that everybody was just going to go HTML5 anyway. Like they were really, really just not a good steward of of the stuff. But from a design perspective, again, not standards, but from a design perspective, what I remember about Flash and Shockwave and stuff like that was that I was I was young, I was like in middle school and in like early high school, but you could, you know get director and some of these tools that you would be able to pirate and you didn't have to have like massive coding skills, be able to put something together that worked really well. And that was really creative. Yeah. Right. 
And the only thing that makes me sad about the loss of that era, in addition to, you know, just sort of like the, you know, there was a certain whimsy and fun that you had from like the the early Flash era and the games and stuff that is, that's gone, is that to redo that stuff now, you have to be really good. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, it's not enough to just be able to be creative. Like, you have yeah. to both be creative and be a coder. And I think that as a result, we have a lot less of that whimsy because those two things, like there are people like you who have both, but most people don't have both of those hats. And so it really, and there's been nothing that's really create, that's really replaced action script. If we're honest, that has been easy to pick up, right? Like flash was in a lot of ways, the, um, the web version of HyperKit of hypercard rather. Right. It was like hypercard for the web. Right. Mm -hmm. And, just as as we don't have a hypercard now, which is really sad, we don't have a flash. And I don't know. I feel like twenty years on, that's really that's really just twenty five years on. Really, like that's actually kind of sad that we've lost these more accessible, freeform, creative tools. Um. Well, I yeah, mean, and I'm, I'm going to say it in, in, in exchange for standards. I'm going to say it. I think it's actually a loss that that in our push for standards and quote unquote doing things the right way, we've lost like a real form of creative expression. Do you remember Dreamweaver? Yes. When I I went to college, like by the time I graduated, I I switched to art school, and my degree was in interactive multimedia. So my like senior project and everything was done in flash director and put together with dreamweaver which are not apps that served me well in my eventual career but like i was i was into it at the time that those tools were kind of coming to fruition and dreamweaver for all of the problems it caused and for all of the shitty code it wrote mm-hmm. it was one of those apps that made uh, uh, that kind of like richer web yep. programming, what, what was at the time called DHTML. Um, it made that accessible to, uh, the, the average art student. And it was, it was there, there hasn't been a really good replacement that you can use without understanding all of the code. No, there hasn't been. And people have tried and, and it just hasn't worked. And, and I think that, yeah, like Dreamweaver made a lot of bad code and people built bad websites with it. But people also were able to, people who couldn't otherwise build websites built websites. And it's yeah. like now you have Squarespaces and you have Wixes and you have, you know, uh, shit like that, which is fine. But you're then ultimately using a platform, right? Like you're, right. you're not. You're basically um, still on Angel Fire at that point. Right. And, and you know, that's more kind of a drag and drop thing. And it's different. Like you could kind of do you could really kind of understand your layout. And yeah, I mean, I used Dreamweaver when I was building. So remember DHTML, remember that whole yeah, like yeah. thing? Yeah, you know, like that would be stuff that like, I like went from like GeoCities to the DHTML kind of phase to, you know, WordPress and and, and other stuff. And then I, I got busy with another um, career and kind of stopped certain things. But, you know, I've still kept up with with stuff kind of on the side. It's always been part of, my repertoire, so to speak, even though I don't have a portfolio to show for it. But, you know, even like 10 years ago, you could do a lot more if you just knew CSS and some HTML. Now you need to know a lot of JavaScript and usually yeah. a specific framework. Like you need to know React or something. Right. And, well, and that like React is the modern version of DHTML, but there's yes. no, 
but there's, there's no, no front end. There's no code-free way at all. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Right. Exactly. There's no front end for it. And, and I, and I feel like that's a loss. And I feel like the reason there's not is that people always say, oh, well, the, the machine generated code isn't good enough and it's not performant and this and that. I'm like, who fucking cares? Like ultimately you're still loading many, many megabytes of JavaScript stuff <laughs> anyway. Right. Like even very simple pages are multiple megabytes and it's all being rendered like server side by some JavaScript stuff. That's like recompiling stuff and transferring, you know, like, like basically, you know, like, you know, crunching it down to, to turn it back into freaking HTML. Like none of this is performance. If we're going to be really real, like, unless you're building something that has a, a real backend functionality or whatever, like you're building an actual application, yeah. none of this stuff is performance. So part of me, like, feels sad that we've lost these front end tools that really allowed whole generations of people to be creative and, and then go into those skill sets. Because like now, if you want to be a web designer, you really have to either just be focused on, I'm going to create, you know, the, the interaction points and hope that, that somebody else can, can code all the work, or I'm going to have to take that on too. Right. Like it's not one of those, just I'm 14 and I want to build a cool looking web page and I want to have some interactive elements. And so I'm going to use this, you know, kind of, you know, cut down version of director and build out my animations and make something do a really cool thing or build out a really primitive game, which were all things that I did when I was that age. Well, and with modern kind of uh, technologies, like you can accomplish all of that and you can make it like screen reader compatible. You can make it fully searchable, fully accessible. Yep. All we're lacking is a really good tool to make use of I mean, like, I love the web design tools that I use, but I can only use them because I, I understand. all. You the know products. how to code. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm 100% with you. great to have something accessible to, I mean, think about how much people spend, people who don't want to go the Squarespace route, but mm-hmm. need like a cool website. Yep. Like you hire someone like me who charges you thousands of dollars. And for a lot of a lot of jobs that I do, I feel like I'm ripping people off because what they're doing is technically very simple. It's for me, it's very simple. Right, right. Well, because well, because a lot most web pages still to this day are basically like what what we used to call like the brochure sites. Yeah, like they're not updated frequently. You know, you have your landing page, your contact information, maybe your sales stuff, but it's 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 a it's a brochure site, right? Mm-hmm. And the process of doing that, if you don't want to go the Squarespace route, is more complicated now than it was 15 years ago. It's more complicated now than it was even 10 years ago, right? Like even the process of getting WordPress installed is more complicated. Um, But rightly so to some extent, because we are more concerned with accessibility. And that's like... Oh, I agree. Uh, But but although, yeah, I mean, I and, and, and which makes sense, although... Again, I would kind of argue that the, the messed up thing is, is that obviously you hire someone like you and, and, and people should hire you. You're going to care about that. There are a lot of agencies that charge people money who still don't care about that. Yeah, I know. And and um, and even WordPress, like they're shifting. So they have this thing called Gutenberg, which is basically their whole new editor system that they released a couple of years ago yeah. that has been very controversial in the community because – Frankly, they broke a lot of shit and they didn't think about it. And I think that they should have, I think they should have called it a different product if I'm being completely honest. 
and and maintained WordPress legacy and then had like the new thing. Like I, I think they should have like created a, a fork if I'm if I'm being totally honest. But they're now working at trying to like make the whole like full site editing, you know, thing with WordPress. And a lot of people have plugins. Like there are whole ecosystems of um, uh, like, uh, site editor plugins, front, like, front um, editors, yeah. front end editors, like, like Divi and Elementor and, and Beaver Builder and all this shit. And, and Gutenberg is, is more than likely going to try to like, um, Sherlock those. But the problem is, is that even Gutenberg right now, and this was actually the, the main criticism when it was released is not accessible. Like it's getting better, but it's still not there. And so, you know, and, and this is like something that's backed by, you know, um, a company that's value, valued at over a billion dollars and yes, it's open source and blah, blah, blah. But like, even they don't have that taken care of, yeah. you know? So right. I, that's, I, that's inexcusable in this day. I and agree. Age. I agree. I agree. Um, but, but I just feel like there, there's like a middle ground not, not to ignore accessibility, but I just feel like we're, it's, I don't want that to be used as a crush of why we don't have like a good non-coding front end tool, because to me, accessibility is something that people still don't do anyway. And even, even when they know the codes, people still don't bother to check and make it like standards compliant in that way. They, they are focused on other stuff. And then we, so you're not getting that. And yet we also have cut out, you know, like the big middle portion of like users who used to be able to, you know, find their way into web development without having to become JavaScript experts. Yep. So long story short, rest in peace, Flash. You, yep. you had a long, uh, you lived a good life. You did. It's uh, time. You, you, you had like uh, a good decade at the end of basically like Alzheimer's where you, you weren't much good to anyone anymore. But in your heyday. No, the legacy, changed, I think. is You changed the web. No, and I, 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 I think that the, the, um, the legacy, especially as we are further and further removed from Flash, is going to be much more positive. The only thing I hope doesn't happen is that people don't start to like lionize and martyrize Flash. I've seen that a little bit happen on Hacker News where people are like making it out to be something that it wasn't and are forgetting all the many reasons why we moved away from it which had nothing to do with what the core part of the tool was, right? Like the core part of like both Shockwave and Flash were that they were this easy, accessible, like building um, blocks. Yeah. Um, but then it became a security problem and people started primarily using it for ads and for other stuff. And I would say that by the time it really become became a security nightmare, people had already started to shift how they designed web pages oh, away sure. from using Flash, right? Really, when I think about like the the heyday mark of flash would probably be between, between like 97 and 2002. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, absolutely. And yeah, I feel like I graduated in 2000, right in the middle of that heyday. Yes. Yeah. So I think 97 to 2002 was like the five year kind of like sweet spot. And the stuff that came after was largely not great. Um, but what it had in like it in its in its you know like before it became kind of like this thing you would roll your eyes about and it was slow and it would you know slow down your computer and do all this other stuff it was really powerful and um rest in peace it was time for it to go but well yeah I, to the thing like more so by far than steve jobs the thing that really turned people against flash was google 
Like yeah. the fact that your website could be so beautiful yet completely unindexed by Google. Yep. Like SEO was like the rage. SEO by, was the thing. By like 03, 04. 2005, and, I would say. Yeah. And it was stupid to build a website that couldn't be search indexed. Absolutely. And that's where it all started to change. That's when it all started to change. I would say that it was Google. It's definitely not Apple. I think that, you know, um, I even wrote something 10 years ago that was like, you know, um, Apple didn't kill Flash, um, HTML5 did. And and I stand by that because by the time people started to shift away from Flash, because exactly as you said, SEO is dead on, you nailed it, Google, the main reason it was being used was for video. It was the easiest way to embed video. Which is and, to say porn mostly, but yeah. Right. But, but also, you know, YouTube used it, right? It, it was, <laughs> it was at this point, like, a, but yeah, porn, but like, you know, but if you wanted to in, insert a video block on your site, you would just insert like a, you know, a, a block of flash scripting. Yep. Yep. And, um, and, and that was what people use. Like that was really the, the main kind of use case of that or ads, right? Like that's what it had become used for because to your point, you couldn't index it. You couldn't search it. It wasn't accessible. It didn't have any of those other things which were all things that could have, if Adobe had cared or, if, you know, Macromedia before they sold had like been concerned with, they could have made changes, right? Like they, they, they could have done those things. They didn't. Um, and so I don't think it was mobile in so much. It was like the way it had been used was really easy at that point to be supplanted by HTML5. And obviously the iPhone helped catapult that, right? But I think yeah. that even without that, Flash was already on the way out because because you're exactly right. I hadn't even thought about that. You're dead on. It was Google. It was SEO. It was absolutely SEO that killed it. Um, and nothing else came in its place. Like you had, you know, Dreamweaver and you had a few other things that were still around, but nobody really said, hey, let's pick up the torch and make a indexable, you know, front-end way of, of developing stuff that doesn't use this proprietary kind of weird format. Um, I don't know. That's a call out there for, for developers. I, I, I feel like the sad thing is, is that it would be a software as a service would be the way that it would be, it would be done now. But I do feel like it's, it's a billion dollar business, if not more, if somebody could create an easy to use kind of front end way to do all of that stuff. Like if you could have a, a react front end that worked well, um, that you could either, price or license the right way. I do feel like that's a billion dollar business. I know. I know some people have tried. We should drop this soon. We should drop it because we, because we're, we're, we're going over. Oh, I know many people have tried. And, and, and to be clear, I'm not saying that if you do this, you will make a billion dollars. I'm saying (laughs) that doing it the right way. I'm saying that somebody who could nail it, right? Like what I am saying though, is if somebody could nail it, it is a billion dollar business. That's all I'm saying. Turns out we had a lot to say about Flash. And I, I have like more things to say that I'm biting my tongue on. Like we didn't even get into like fonts on the web or anything like God. that. God. Okay. <laughs> Let's table it for next week because we could, we could just spend a whole like week talking about re- web retrospectives. Because yes, you're right. Fonts on the, okay. I got to stop now too because I could go into the whole OD. Yeah. I, okay. I'll, I'll stop. But yeah. All right. All right. This has been uh, an especially long episode of Overtired. For some people, that will be um, great news. For other people, that will be uh, frustrating that we went an hour and 20 minutes without talking about Taylor Swift. We'll be back next week. We'll make up for it, I'm sure. We will make up for it um, um, and talk about her. Uh, My top two albums of 2020 were 
evermore in, in folklore. I'm not sure what order yet. So that's that's our Taylor mention. <laughs> All right. Um, I I'll save that for next week's show notes because we'll do uh, we'll do some music next week. I like that. I like that. All right. Well, Christina, get some sleep. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down low.